Hello, dear friends. Welcome to this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom, episode 64 to be exact. And my guest today is Justin Michael Williams, who I had the pleasure of becoming friends with in 2013 while on shoot in Bulgaria at the New Boyana Studios for Micheline Berry's creation of Liquid Asana Live. <laughs> it was quite the adventure and led to many, many, many incredible relationships and opportunities. And it was a really special, <laughs> unique experience in so many ways. Micheline Berry is a one of my favorite yoga teachers. She lives in California with her partner, Joey Lagasse. And Micheline was known around the Santa Monica yoga scene as a uh, just a a teacher who worked very well with live musicians and was very tapped into the live music world. And so her creation, Liquid Asana Live, was to bring all kinds of world-class world and yoga musicians to this film studio in Bulgaria with like a, I don't know, maybe 20 to 30 yogis, incredible yogis from all over the world as well. The musicians were like, who oh gosh, who is there? Sheila Bringy, Masood Ali Khan, Dave Stringer, DJ Drez. Those are some of the ones I think you guys might know. And then the, like the ensemble players like Dominic and Cristo and... Miles, I think, was there. And yeah, I could go on and on and on. So all these musicians were there to play for different classes for this DVD series. And then different yogis were there to be the students in the class because we were filming them live. So the musicians would play for different classes and Micheline needed students. So myself, I had the honor of being one of the students in the classes. I was invited by a teacher here in Boise in Idaho, uh, Debbie Murphy and her husband, Mike. They were dear friends and they invited me to come and be a student also. They had a deep, long-lasting connection with Micheline. And long story short, Justin was there as well. And we all got along. It was like a week long <laughs> yoga summer camp party that was incredible. And from that, I had the opportunity to film my own yoga classes for Udaya. If you go to Udaya, U-D-A-Y-A.com, it's an online streaming service like Yoga Glow for classes, but the classes are all filmed, unlike many yoga classes that are filmed, which are like one static camera, one shot. These are all filmed on a major motion picture movie studio, like where the Expendables were was filmed and 300 was filmed and these like action movies were filmed. And in the off time, when the action movies weren't happening, yoga classes were happening. So we'd, we were on these big movie sets with directors 
and sound guys and producers and all the other crew, you know, there'd be like 20 plus people on sets, just the crew and then these stages and then like three big cameras, including like, I don't know what you call them, those cameras that are on the big crane, the arm moving around. And many of the classes had live music because we got into this flow of filming with the musicians, thanks to Micheline's, you know, initial start back in 2013. I was invited back in 2014 to create my own videos, which I then did in 14 and 15 and 16. And then we transitioned from the filming of classes in the summer to create content for Udaya Live to, or sorry, Udaya.com to Udaya Live, which was their festival. So for the past until, gosh, we didn't have it in 2020. I was supposed to go back along with everybody else. It got canceled, but it was 17, 18, 19, 20. So it became a yoga festival because again, yoga teachers and yoga musicians, that's the perfect recipe for a wonderful yoga festival. My favorite event of all of, of the year would be going back to Bulgaria and doing Udaya Live. And I have so much gratitude for the folks at Udaya, Patty and Yareev for putting my book out for me. So my yoga book, Vinyasa Yoga Made Simple, 27 Days to Self-Discovery, was um, published by Udaya. It's, the, I think, the first and maybe the only book that they've done, only yoga book that they've done. I had the idea of creating 27 15 to 20-minute classes. That was a book to lead you through a daily practice. And then I went to Bulgaria in, I think that was, I want to say I probably filmed them in 2014. Maybe it was the first project I did with them. And so then I filmed 27 videos to go along with the book. And it's fantastic. I love it. So when you buy my book, you also get access to those videos as well. So any of you that are looking for a home practice, the book could be a good way to go. You can find it on my website, marissarada.com. And if you sign up as a Patreon supporter, you get my yoga book as well. I'll send you a copy of it. So check out my Patreon, uh, Marissa Rada for the Love Service Wisdom Podcast. If you can't find it, shoot me a message. Send me an email at Rada, R-A-D-H-A, Rada at MarissaWepner.com. And I'll help you find it. But maybe you can find it if you just Google like, Vinyasa yoga made simple in my name. Hopefully, hopefully it's not too deep down, too many pages through. Hopefully it's the first thing that pops up. But anyways, again, I met Justin there and I followed him through the years, which has been really wonderful and interesting to watch him evolve and grow like we all have. It's been like, gosh, eight years now. And Justin is an author, a speaker, a musician, a teacher. He blends music, meditation, and equality. He is a leader right now in some of the social justice work because his book, Stay Woke, came out almost a year ago exactly. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, he released uh, an incredible text called Stay Woke, 
a meditation guide for the rest of us, which we talk about in the podcast. We get right into that book and what that means, what the rest of us means. And he works at the intersection of social justice, mindfulness, and personal growth with a touch of music that brings it all to life, whether it's a workshop, keynote speech, podcast, concert, or panel discussion, Justin will wow your audience and give them practical tools to transform their life. And you can learn more about Justin and his work at justinmichaelwilliams.com, justinmichaelwilliams.com, spelled just like you would think it would be. Or you can follow him or find him on Instagram at wejustwill. We just will. I'll put links to this in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to love this conversation. Very, very grateful to Justin for his time, his presence, his energy. I cut it out, but before we began and I hit record, we took a moment to drop in together and just say a little prayer of intention and ground in and connect for the podcast. And it was a really, really beautiful way to begin and just highlights his level of integrity and thoughtfulness, which I feel shines through in this conversation as well. So enjoy. Here's Justin Michael Williams. Welcome, Justin, to my podcast, Love Service Wisdom. Thank you so much for having me, my dear. I'm so happy to be here, Marissa. Yeah, it's such a treat. Um, and I was, you know, doing a little bit of research on you. I have been following you, of course, over the years since we became friends in 2013. And just when I was peeking around, I saw that it's almost the anniversary of the release of your book. Ah, it is. Yes, you're right, actually. February oh 11th. Yes, it is. We're getting close to one year. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Your you. Your baby's gonna be one. It's gonna be one. It's yeah, what a it's been a big journey this year, you know, with the book coming out just before the pandemic hit the United States. You know, it's been a big journey. Crazy timing. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. was your I mean, I can guess your inspiration for the book in many ways. You know, it, it says it's a book that's a guide on meditation for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, I can assume it's coming from a feeling of one within your own self of otherness yeah. within a community and wanting to serve that platform. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, you know, there's a section of my book that when people bring this up that I actually like to read. So I'm just pulling it up right now. And it's, um, it's very short, but it was interesting because when I, when the book was almost done, like, and I was talking to my publisher, I'm with Sounds True, who's just, they're just amazing. One of the most incredible kind of spiritual publishers around. I love them so much. And um, I think one of the things that's so beautiful, actually, that I'll say is like, I, in, in my spiritual journey, like I grew up really reading books from Sounds True. Yeah. And so it was so cool. Like, just so cool. When I got signed to them, I felt just like, whoa, what an honor journey, you know, it's such a big journey. And but what happened was my editor, Jennifer Brown, when I was pretty much done, like the book was basically in the can, it was finished. And she said, you know what? I think you need to write something that makes it more clear about who you mean by the rest of us. 
And so for context on timing, this was 2018. Mm. And she's saying, you know, who's the rest of us? And I said, oh, God. And I had that moment that I think a lot of people have when they're teachers or leaders of like, I don't want to write who it is because I don't want to leave people out. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to do that. And so finally, though, I sat down, I really fell into my heart with it. And I wrote this, I'll read this to you. It's on literally on the third page of the book. It says, for my black brothers and sisters, this is for you. For my LGBTQIA plus family, this is for you. For my women who've had enough, this is for you. For my starving artists and workaholic creatives who want to make a difference in the world, this is for you. For my conscious entrepreneurs who want to make an impact, this is for you. For those who've been discriminated against for their otherness, this is for you. For my social justice warriors, this is for you. For my tree-loving planet savers who care so much about our environment, this is for you. And for all people of color and everyone else who is woke enough to understand why it is that I'm even pointing that out in the first place, this is for you. But most importantly, this book is for us for the people. Mm. And so, yeah, it just was so interesting because I would have never known, like could have never guessed that this book would be coming out in 2020, which is like, you know, the world being in the state that it's in right now. And so I really think that, you know, the book was writing me in a way. Um, And I think given the state of the world and what's happening with, you know, the movement for equality and people coming together and all of this, I don't even know that I need to be that specific anymore in that. Like, I think now we kind of get it, you know? Totally. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You could have not said that. And now in 2020, everyone, not everyone, but most of us would know who the rest of us are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How, How then did you feel or come to settle with the feeling of leaving some out? Well, you know what? Like, this is the thing. Everybody right now, I don't want to say everybody, a lot of people are very concerned. I'll say it this way. People are very concerned with like saying something that then leaves other people out. And, you know, but the truth is, is if you're talking to everybody, you're really not talking to anybody, Mm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. because you can't be specific. You can't Mm -hmm. go directly to the issues. And, And what I wanted to do with this book was bring the practice of meditation and I think people will, will sometimes be surprised when they read, like I, I literally have a practice in the book called how to stop porn from fucking you using the practice of meditation. Like I go there in the book because I'm speaking directly to the issues that like these specific communities mm-hmm. are facing, and not just in your like theoretical spiritual land of the stuff that we put in the spiritual box. And then all the other stuff is outside of the spiritual box, but how do we apply our mindfulness practice to the very real things that are happening. Awesome. You said that too on when I was again doing some research on your webpage about turning towards your toxic thoughts. And I yeah. think that's exactly what you're speaking to right there where it's not sugar-coated or held in kind of a um like larger a spiritual, bypass, way, spiritual you know? bypass but even just like generalized. Yeah. You know, yeah. like let's get specific here. Yeah. Let's talk about pornography. Yeah. Amazing. And so, and so I think for me, the book, like the truth is every, I have readers who are, you know, 75 year old Republican white women. And I have readers that are 16 year old queer black kids. And what I love is everybody seems to be able to find something in the book. And a lot of people, when they asked me, 
was this meditation for black people? Is meditation for gay people? I said, no, 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 no. Like there are sections in the book that speak specifically to women, that speak specifically to people in certain communities. And I want people to read that so that they can have context Mm -hmm. because it's such, there's so many times that we say, well, we don't understand what this community is going through. And I'm like, read this section. Don't skim over it because you think it's not for you. Because once you read it, you're going to have a whole different understanding of what's going on in the world and how to teach mindfulness and how to practice it in, in communities where it's just not normally brought. So. Yeah. And I love that you were writing this in 2018, independently inspired by your own experiences. It's not like you jumped on this in 2020, oh. right? Yeah. And so yeah. I know from our time together and witnessing you for almost a decade now, you've been immersed. You believe it has been so long. <laughs> It's like when you said 2013, I was like, oh my gosh, it was that long ago. What a November trip. 2013. Wow. <laughs> anyway, sorry, and, I interrupted you. Yeah. And you were, you know, obviously one black man around many, not people of color, many white people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And did you internally, was there, was that, were you feeling that? You know, I have to tell you, Marissa, I have, and this is to be honest, it's a, it's a, it's something that I've come to know as a privilege of mine is I'm half black. So my dad's black. My mom is actually Persian and Middle Eastern, but she's adopted into an Italian family. So just following that thread, my mom was adopted when she was a little, little baby, like a few days old into an, a white Italian family that came to the United States on a boat from Sicily. Like, and so once my parents got divorced, I was the only black guy in my house. Oh, so like my cousins look more like you, Marissa, than they do like me on my mom's side, at least. And so I didn't I didn't actually grow up feeling weird in these spaces because in my own home, I was the only black person in the in the house. Mm -hmm. And so what that afforded me that I didn't recognize, I really didn't even recognize this, honestly, until maybe four or five years ago um, was the first time I kind of had the aha is I had a lot of moments where I was the only black person in the room learning from these older white men or white women in spiritual communities. And it's interesting because I was never uncomfortable because, so I'll say this, while I would always wish there were more people of color there, sometimes I was glad they weren't there because some of the teachers were so like narrowly focused and so blind to the real realities that people are facing that some of the things they said would have been offensive to other people that are there. But because my grandma and grandpa look like these old white teachers, and those are people who I've spent so much time with, I never felt uncomfortable. Like I felt the sense of understanding. Totally. And so, and now that's changing. And I think it's it's part of what has given me the privilege of even being my age. You know, I'm 32, I'm turning 33 soon. And um, in, in literally 10 days, <laughs> two, two, almost two weeks. Happy yeah. early birthday. My birthday's at the end of the month. Ah, yeah, mine's February 22nd. I didn't I'm know the we were 27th. So yeah, it's Pisces. February but I'm Pisces. 10 years older than you. I'll all be right. 42. Well, deal. <laughs> we're, t- <laughs> we're covering all the generations. <laughs> So, you know, I think for me, it's interesting when I even say that I've been practicing or teaching rather for a decade because I just happened to get into this young because I was comfortable. And now the mindfulness and spiritual world is diversifying quite a bit. And I'm so grateful to just be able to be be a part of that movement, you know? 
Yeah, you're you are in some ways at the spear tip of it. Like for example, the Esalen call last week, right? There was a call with the yeah. Esalen founder and I couldn't make the call, but Krishna was on it. And there was maybe like 200 other people on it, all the teachers and faculty at Esalen. And he mentioned scrolling through the screens and mentioning, well, there was one black man that was kind of like this. And he was describing you. We were lying in bed. After, and I'm like, I think you're talking about my friend, Justin. <laughs> and he was. So still yeah, your... Um, it's still quite rare, even though it's becoming more and more. And well, you, but you know what? But you know what, Marissa? Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Go no, ahead. go ahead. So, so the thing is, is it really is changing, and I need people to see that. Like when I first was in the space, like I could be at a yoga journal conference with several thousand people and be the only black person there. That's not the case anymore. The, and in, in a space like Esalen, who, which is an organization that I know is really doing a lot of work to diversify right now, one of the things that is true is in the wellness world, like really this is the first decade that there are a lot of people of color getting engaged. And the first several years where there's a lot of people of color who are in a position to have been practicing long enough to be teachers. Mm. And so like, I, I see that sentiment, right? And and I want to name that there also are like several, many amazing people of color who are teachers who could be included now, you yes. know, that should be included now. And in five years, we won't be looking at that same kind of a screen because there's going to be so many teachers who now have been practicing for 10, 12 years who are people of color who can now step in to a bigger leadership role, you know? Yeah. And, and within all of that, I'm curious on your thoughts of the new healing movement and the inclusivity and diversity and where will that be taking the path? Mm. <laughs> well, hopefully to a place where more people have access. Um, that's one. But I think the, the, place to be careful of with it is I think we have to be really careful not to water everything down. Like this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, in the movement to be inclusive, I think sometimes we can be very quick to like overstate harm. And mm -hmm. what happens is like, I'll give you an example of something that just happened recently. Somebody reached out to me, that's a teacher and said, you know, they were in a training and the training was like, you know, you have to, to make it accessible, This just an asana practice, right? To all body types that you shouldn't teach things in a sequence because if, or not in a sequence, in like a, in a hierarchy, meaning level one, level two, level three, because some bodies will never be able to reach level three and you make them feel bad that they can't ever reach it because you're saying that they're lower or they're less than because they're, they haven't reached a level. And while I hear that, I just think it's crazy. I, I mean, I just think it's, that doesn't make sense because first of all, like- It's like kindergarten versus sixth grade. Yeah, it's there's just gonna there's be more a difference. things to learn and there's everything is not gonna be accessible to everybody. And so what I think we need to understand is people are going to be excluded. There are going to be places where people have to are not a part of it. What we need to do instead of trying to 
not make that happen is ritualize when it does happen. Ritualize what would that look that like? Experience. So like, how can we make it like a more of a, a sacred, an acknowledgement, a compassionate, a an experience for people when things are being excluded instead of looking at it like, well, let's just avoid exclusion altogether. Because this is the thing that I think every time you speak, you're excluding something like mm -hmm. automatically. Mm -hmm. you're exc I'm excluding this mm -hmm. other thought that I was going to mm -hmm. say that I didn't say, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's almost like the inability to recognize diversity while wanting to be super inclusive is yeah. to say and just honor, we are different. Yeah. You do have a different body than me. You have a different skin color, but you also your body is capable of different things than mine. And yeah. it's not a better or less than. We're just different. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah, mm. and it is okay. And I think we have to learn, and, and I don't have all the solutions for this, but what we have to learn to do is as we're making more spaces for people, there should be a space for that person's body type where yes. they feel like they can progress and have levels. And I think that's what the issue is right now is there's not enough spaces for people, you know? And so they, yeah, the person whose body type or whose gender or whose whatever, like um, has them forced to go into a yoga class with a bunch of skinny bendy people, mm -hmm. then of course they're gonna, it, it's the whole experience is not ritualized. There's nothing sacred about it. There's no way, there's nowhere for them to go. Mm -hmm. But if there was a space for them to go, then then we don't have this problem as much anymore, right? And it's, um, it's so complicated. It's so complicated because then you don't wanna say, well, you need to go to the class for this body type. Right, right. No, I know. <laughs> you can't do that it's either. It's tricky. So that's, but I think this is like, Marissa, this is what we're learning in our generation. We're yes. learning to do this. Yeah. And, and people are looking for the instant answer. And I think the answer right now is it's messy. We're figuring it out. We're trying stuff, but we're trending up. We are trending up. That's exactly. What I believe. Yeah. One of the things I always encourage everyone to consider is that we're all learning. And so, yeah. like you said, it's messy. And so the space where we can hold each other accountable and accept each other's mistakes and flaws and that we all are going to do it or have it or, or like, you know, have an ouch every now and then, you know, unconsciously or unconsciously, but still get welcomed back in like, Ooh, that was, yeah, sorry about that one. I'll try better next time. Or what would, what do you need? Or, yeah. you, you know, it, it takes a lot of communication. It does. And it takes being honest with ourselves and our emotions and honest with, it takes, and this is why we're the community to do this work because hopefully many of us have had enough practice, like being present with ourselves to be able to show up for the experience fully. You know, I say, gosh, like if you look at it, I, I tell a lot of people in the spiritual or the wellness or the yoga community these days, like, Okay, do you notice how triggered you are talking about race and talking about this and that? Imagine someone who has never meditated, who has never been to therapy, who has never sat with themselves, who has never learned how to hold their emotions, who drinks everything away, which is most of the world. And imagine how they're feeling right now. And you, so how do you, why do you think people have these radical <laughs> responses? It's because we don't have, people don't have the capacity to hold it. 
Mm-hmm. So how do we build that? If we are freaking out and we're the yogis, <laughs> what, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I on. know, I know, <laughs> I know. The hard part about it is it's almost like no matter who you are and how much you've practiced in one sphere, when we begin to talk about race, it immediately hits on in a spot within that signals bad wrong. Mm-hmm. We immediately feel bad wrong in a way that we hadn't, we haven't processed yet. We haven't yeah. processed through it. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, that part of the system is a part that has to be undone um, of, of how we're doing this work because we have enough science now, enough, more than enough science that proves that shame, blame, guilt, perfectionism, aggression, if you're trying to actually get people to change, to change your perspective, to see things differently, it doesn't work. And it, it isn't just because, oh, they're mad, but it literally like is evolutionarily, it's bio- biological, it's the way our brains are hardwired. You shut down when you're hit with shame, blame, and anger and fear. And so, okay, knowing that, like how do we now use all the tools that we know to invite people into this movement in a way that is compassion-based, that is based in the heart, that calls people forward instead of calling them out. Yeah, and and in the social justice warrior realm, it feels as if it's more about calling out. Mm -hmm. I've seen that a lot. Or like an exaggeration of division where it's everybody else has got it wrong, we've got it right over here, and that doesn't feel healing also. So are you doing some work within even the social justice realm to help them become more compassionate? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm doing a lot of work in this realm. And it, so I have a program that is that I did last year that's launching two more times this year called the Liberation Experience. And it's a program that actually not just talks about change, because I think there's a lot of talks about change where people just talk in circles, but very few conversations that actually change something. And so the way that you change something is by actually bringing people together, actually giving people the tools to have the conversation, actually building relationships across what are perceived as divides. And that's what we do in the liberation experience. We literally bring people together who are black and who are not black, and we separate and do work in our our own groups. And then we come back together and then connect one-on-one, connecting groups, have conversation. And it's so healing beyond because we all have some work to do here. All of us have some learning to do. All of us have some work to do. And I'm saying this as a black queer man, I have work to do too. It's it's all of us that have to be in this movement together if we want to step into the world together. Have you gotten, or have you reached moments where you've felt burnt out? You know what? It's interesting. I I haven't experienced the burnout thing yet um, around this topic. I experienced some burnout just because I'm busy. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but like, not because not like specifically because I'm, I'm feel like I'm hitting a brick wall with this because I think one of the things that might be different about the work that I do versus, so the, the work that I do, I say is called inner, inner activism. It's activism within. And, and when people hear that sometimes in the traditional activist world, they like roll their eyes at me and they're like, okay, dude, bullshit. Like, what are you talking about inner activism? But this is what I really mean is like <laughs> to put it on, I'll say it this way. Things change all the time. We change laws, we change presidents, we change 
government bodies. We change where we live. We change our hair. We change our jobs. We change lots of things. None of those changes ever last if we haven't transformed. Never, right? It's just like, this is why we keep seeing what we're seeing in the world. There has to be some inner work that has to be done. And this is how Right, we- it's like rearranging the furniture. Exactly. And, you know, it sounds real woo-woo, like when I say it like this, but to keep it very practical for people, how many of us have been in a romantic relationship with somebody, got out of that relationship because we realized it wasn't right for us anymore, spent some time, got into a whole new relationship with an entirely new person, and then soon realized you're in the same relationship with a different person. Same problems, same cycles, same conversations, same issues. And you've changed the entire circumstance. You can move to a new city, new person, everything. So this applies to our relationship with everything, with our jobs, with our bodies, with social justice and change. And so what I want to make sure people hear and what I I say loud and clear everywhere I go is I'm not saying the external work doesn't matter. I'm saying the external work matters so much that it must be met with the same force and commitment and dedication to our internal work so that the external work can actually have the lasting impact we want it to have. Exactly. So that's my role, you know, in, in the movement. And I think maybe I'm not experiencing burnout because I'm seeing people change. You know, I'm seeing it happen. And mm. that gives me joy. Oh, that gives me so much joy too. Cause really you're giving them the tools. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. What are you thinking? I'm just, I'm feeling I'm, there's a, like a, a heart space where I feel really happy that you're doing what you're doing Uh, and uh, you know, you're a bridge and you're, you're able to bridge from so many different places. And if I can feel within you, the inclusivity and the guidance. I, you know, I feel it's so funny. So the, the one of the, it's funny you said bridge because one of the things I've been saying is I'm like, the bridge is here, y'all. I'm, what my role is, is to help us with what we do on the bridge because like it, the bridge can be here, but if we're just going to walk past each other on the bridge, yelling at each other about whose experience is more significant or not, then you might as well get rid of the bridge. You know? So it's like, let's have the tools to actually be on the bridge together and, mm-hmm. and see what happens. And I, I feel like that's kind of what my work is. Yeah. You're like a bridge keeper. The bridge keeper. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Thank you. And leading through your own example, because, you know, like we've talked about, you've been immersed in it. You've been doing your own inner work for many years. You've come through your own process of transformation. I mean, I remember even just like three or four years ago, it was coming out with your music career oh, and huge. singing. Yeah. And that breakthrough for you, I feel like in some ways, this is just an assumption, but enabled you to be who you are now by standing on that platform of power, inner power and desire. Yeah, because I think for me, the music piece of the puzzle, which I still integrate in all of my work, you know, I I integrate a lot of music into everything because it can't just be about the words. If it was just about the words, we wouldn't be in this situation right now because you can Google and read pretty much anything and, and find the solution or the answer or the reason. We have to get people to feel and the best way to get people to feel is through art, is through music. That's how people feel, you know, it's, and especially when you're working in communities where it's not like a bunch of people who are reading all the time, you know, different communities have different access points. And so um, 
for me, the music part of the journey, I think, showed me, truly, truly taught me, like, how to be my authentic, real self and share my real, authentic voice with people. And that's the greatest gift because I, I was, <laughs> you know, I grew up a little closeted gay boy in the hood, like, pretending to be everything everybody needed me to be. And, and I got really good at that. I got really, really good. I remember people would say, oh, you're such a chameleon. And like, that's cool when you know where center is, mm-hmm. you know, when you know where to come back to. I, I, at a point, I didn't even know who I was in that. I just only knew how to be what someone else wanted me to be so I could be accepted or loved. Yeah, the adaptability as a survival skill. Totally, exactly that. And especially because like, you know, growing up, it was if I couldn't adapt, like I would get beat up or I would get teased or even in my own home, like I was not allowed to be who I was. And so you shape shift. And if you're practicing that at home, at school, everywhere, what they say obviously is what you practice grows stronger. And so I got really good at being someone I wasn't. What gave you the courage to break through that? Uh, the the moment that I had with my grandma that I talk about all the time. Um, so several years ago, I think it must've been just before we met, uh, just before, just after, uh, my grandmother, who in my family we call Baca. And it's not because it's actually a special word. It's just because I was a really weird little kid. And you know how when you're teaching kids to say words, my family was trying to teach me to say grandma. And they would go, Justin, say grand. And I would say grand. Then go say ma. And I would say ma. They go say grandma. And I would go, Baca. <laughs> so, and so literally she's Baca in our family because of that. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, I have to tell you something that floored me. So I was giving a talk virtually last year, internationally, and I said this story. And all these people in the chat box said, Baca means grandma in Serbian. Wow. And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't <laughs> even give the rest of the talk. I was just like, are you kidding me? So I think little one, one-year-old Justin was channeling something. Um, you were. I'm pretty sure. So anyway, that aside, several years ago, my Baca, who I was super, super close to, got diagnosed with stage four cancer and the doctors told her she had a couple months to live. It was such a huge shock for our family. She was 67, seemingly mm-hmm. healthy, young, you know, active, like the glue. We were so close. And so I flew home to the Bay Area to be with her. And I literally walk in the house, my whole family's there and I walk in with my suitcase. And when I open the door, she just goes, for me. And I'm like, what? Like I, she like sneaks me back to the room, the rest of the family's in the other room and doesn't know I'm there. And she said, I've been wanting to talk to you about something for a long time. And now that I know I don't have a lot of time left, we're gonna talk about it now. I'm just like, okay, you know, like just off the airplane. And she said, if you were in my shoes and you knew you were gonna die in two months, what would you do? And I look at her and I literally am like, what What are you talking about? And I just was like, I'm not dying, you're dying. I mean, I'm dying too, but slower than you, you know, hopefully, Mm -hmm. and hopefully. And she said, get quiet, get still, do that meditation thing you always talk about. And don't you dare open your lips until you're ready to tell me the truth. And she like really was calling me forward in this way. And I just closed my eyes. And I think because my heart was so cracked open from her diagnosis, I had like 
felt this well of emotions just come running up out of me and I wanted to cry, but I didn't cry because when I was a kid, they said only faggots cry. And so, but I just blurted out. I just said, I would quit everything I'm doing and I would record an album. That's what I said. I said, I would do music and I would stop hiding myself behind the scenes. And she looked at me in that moment and she just said, promise me you'll do it. I know. And that's why I'm asking you this right now. So just promise me. And so I closed my eyes in that moment and I, I just said, I promise, I promise. And what I realized now is she was making me make a promise to myself. Yes. You know? Yeah. I feel chills so, all over my body. So powerful. It was a big journey, you know, and I think so many of us have these dreams. Like I had always wanted to do music since I was a little boy, but I let all the kids who tease me make me shut down my voice, you know, make me think I sucked at everything. And I, I think we all have these things like that we want to do for our lives, but we think, oh no, I'm too fat. I'm too old. I'm too ugly, too gay, not good enough. Or we just don't want to be vulnerable. It's scary. It's scary to sing. Yeah. Or anything, all, whatever dreams we have for our lives. We Mm -hmm. have so many ideas for our own lives of who it is that we want to be. Mm-hmm. And then we don't because we're like, oh, I should have done it before I had kids or I should have done this. And yes. The dream there for all of us, you know? It's true. Wow. What a, oh, thank you, Baca. Mm. Yeah. I remember I seeing you sing at Wanderlust, Squaw Valley. You were on the stage outside where there was kind of, yeah, where there was kind of like the center area, you know? Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're talking about. That was my first live performance. I think I remember you saying that and it was a very big deal for you and watching you get to that point, you know, just observing through social media that you were growing and I'm doing it. Now I am doing it. And now it's now I've got songs and now I'm going on the road. And then there you were on stage. It's amazing. Uh, It sounds like, like but it was like, it was a lot of shadow work, a lot (laughs) of like moving through the fear you know, which is what we all have to do. Yes, that's exactly it. And again, I think that that initiation for you is really, I can feel how much strength it's giving you now to be a leader at this moment because you're not hiding from yourself. No, yeah, we did that. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool because I, I think what's happened is I've really given myself permission to be me. You know, not to be what I thought a spiritual teacher is supposed to look like or what a yoga teacher is supposed to look like or what a musician's going to look like. I even went through that phase of thinking like, oh, I'm a singer now, so I need to look really cool and be like half naked all the time and like <laughs> shirtless pictures. And like, I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing these diets. I'm about to eat these donuts. I'm just kidding. I'm just like, you know, and and just really being true to, to who it is that I am and knowing that that's enough. Yeah. And I, I, you know, with my partner, who's a musician too, he shares how he spent several years, his first like seven or eight years as a musician doing what he thought the crowd wanted to hear. Yeah. And it was only when he turned back towards his roots and his essence and his truth that it really flourished for him as well. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm I'm curious, Justin, how did you find yoga? in the beginning? Oh my gosh. Okay. So, (laughs) so it was, so told you that beginning part of the story. And so context of, you know, when you grow up in the kind of environment that I grew up in, so 
home literally with gunshot holes on the outside of it. You know, everybody has their trauma and you learn to adapt. My adaptation wasn't to be kind of the rowdy kid. Mine was to be the smart kid. Like, I'm going to be the smart kid. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to overachieve. I call myself a recovering chronic overachiever. <laughs> and I think a lot of people will relate to that, you know? And that comes with a big shadow because what happens is it looks successful on the outside. So no one's checking in on you to see if you're okay, but you are literally like entangling your self-worth with your achievements and your success. And then we don't know who we are or what we're worth outside of what we do or produce. Huge shadow, you know, and um, that goes unnoticed. And so I'm raising my hand and like claiming that I have that and recovering from it. But when I went to college, so I ended up overachieving to the nth degree, got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I get to LA and my life looks like I'd always dreamed of. Literally like everything in my life looked, when I was 16 and I visited colleges, I had a vision for what I wanted my life to be. My life when I got to college was 10 times better than that vision ever wow. was. And I had this moment sitting on my dorm room floor I was struggling with an eating disorder at the time. And I said, how is it that my life looks exactly like I've always dreamed of and I'm still not happy? How am I still not happy? And I ended up like developing a pretty bad eating disorder. So I'm about six feet tall. I'm really 5'11", but my hair, I say I'm six feet because I have the curls. <laughs> and, and I weigh about 165. And I weighed 115 pounds the end of my freshman year of college. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I ended up collapsing on a treadmill during finals week. And uh, then the kind of cat was out of the bag. And I went to a therapist. And the therapist said to me, it looks like you've been trying to find your happiness outside of yourself. It's time that you find it within. And that is what... And, and at that point, I literally had never even heard this phrase before. Like, you know, I'm... A, a, 18 year old black boy from the hood. I had like never heard happiness within. I had just known of, there was this God out there who I was having some issues with because my church had like kind of disowned me because I came out of the closet. And then there was me who was just supposed to be doing all these things to make sure that like I could make God happy and go to heaven, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this concept of happiness within, I'm like, where, what do you, where within what? So was there <laughs> yeah. a book or a teacher? Yes. You asked the perfect question. So he says this to me. And what I literally did is that night I put on my UCLA hoodie and some big glasses. I had like these big Dior glasses that I think I bought with scholarship money. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went to Borders bookstore. If people remember Borders. Uh -huh. And I went to the self-help section. It was my first time down the aisle. And I'm looking and I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. And I sit down and I close my eyes and I put my hands over my heart and I, I just, something told me to just say a prayer. And I said, please show me exactly what I need. And I literally reached my hand out and like scrolled it across the books with my eyes closed, pulled out a book and it was A, a New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh. Mm. And bing, bing, literally bing, bing, bing. life changed. Like, <laughs> life, like from that day onward, life was never the same again. You Fantastic. Know? So that's kind of what, what first initiated me on the path. First, mm. first little initiation. And then I started opening up to yoga and meditation and mindfulness and the whole, the whole bag. Beautiful. I found Dan Millman when I was 16, the oh, way of the peaceful wow. warrior. It's amazing when you were 16. That's so cool. Yeah. And that, and that was pretty much it for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. 
Yeah, and that's why like Eckhart, some of his early books were put, were published by Sounds True and he's done some audio stuff a lot. He does a lot of audio stuff with them. And so when I got my book deal with them, I was just like, this is crazy. Like I pictured <laughs> little me embarrassed going incognito into the self-help section to pick a book to think that, you know, 12 years later, like my book would be in the self-help section. <laughs> you know, like it just is so bizarre. Yes. And so, so the question is just in your life looks so good on the outside. How do you feel inside? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, some, I feel, you know what? I think I'm just like everyone else. Some days I feel fantastic. Some days I feel like shit, you know, some days I feel like, you know, I'm so anxious. I, the, my shadows come back to haunt me just like anyone else. Like, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Is, is, is all this happening? And, but the thing that's shifted for me, this is the difference that I think my practice has afforded me and hopefully affords anyone else who practices is on the days that feel like shit, I still know that I'm okay. Mm. I still know that I'm enough. I still know that it's okay that I feel like shit and nothing's wrong with me. And that's the difference, you know? Exactly. You know, it's like- Exactly. That's, it that's kind that. of the key in the lock is allowing yeah. yourself to feel anxious, shitty, bad, horrible, depressed, whatever it might be in that moment and know that that's not actually you. Yes. It's not, it's just like, oh, here that is again. Here's my old friend that feels like this, but that's not who I am. But I can also allow myself to feel this way because me choosing to not feel it oppresses it and it doesn't go away. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the anxiety and anxiousness and stress that we end up feeling like if you think about the amount of energy that it takes when you're feeling like shit to try to force yourself to not feel like shit like that is yes. what actually feels terrible is like yes. the forcing and the pushing mm. and so and you know this is easier said than done while i'm here feeling great talking to you you know but like when you can allow it and i sometimes you know show up to give a talk and I have to give a talk and I feel a little bit sad and down. And I realize, okay, I feel you, Justin, you're here. I see you're sad today. And I can show up with my sadness. You know, I can still be who I am with my sadness. And, you know, this is, this is the work that we have to do to really be true to ourselves and come home to ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And feeling all of that too, it, it kind of just is the way. I mean, if you weren't sad, you wouldn't be happy. You wouldn't know the difference or the yin or the yang or be in the flow. It's not an either or. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, I mean, getting back to the beginning of the conversation, it's including the diversity of feelings. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And one of my mentors who I do a lot of shadow work with, his name's Robert Masters. Um, he said to me literally just a couple weeks ago, because I still catch myself. We all do. Like I have some emotions that I just are much easier to feel than others, you know? And he said to me, you know, and you can apply this to whatever spiritual belief you have, but he said, Justin, stop limiting God to one particular state or emotion. Hallelujah. Right? And I just, right when he said that, it was like the lights went on. It was like, oh yeah, hello. Like I'm, I'm feeling like God or the universe or spirit is only sometimes in joy and abundance and happiness and peace and whatever. No, 
It's in all of it. If it's everything, it's in the sadness, it's there too. So feel that as sacred, you know, just like we talked about in the beginning. Again, when stuff stuff has to be excluded and when stuff is, when things are not exactly right, how do we see this moment as sacred? How do we know that God's in all of it instead mm. of, you know, making it, it, the spirituality is only in one particular state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that in and itself is a paradox because while it's true, God and the universe and, and, and all of it is in everything, we also say and feel it in love and in yeah. neutrality and connection. Yeah. So isn't that interesting that it is both, but when we want to point towards it or describe it, we describe it a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think it's, it's some of our greatest work to, uh, we all have, if you kind of look at, for people who are listening, if you Google the feelings wheel, you know, there's a, the wheel of emotions, which I love. And they have kind of the six, some have eight primary emotions. And they're, some of them are like power, joy, sadness, anger, fear, you know, and all of us, if you look at the, at the chart, we have some emotions that are really easy for us and some that are hard. And it's not even just that the quote unquote negative emotions are the hard ones. Some people are like, I'm pretty good at sadness. Like I can do sadness pretty well. <laughs> anger, I don't do so well. You know what I mean? And some mm -hmm. people don't do joy well. You know, some people have trouble experiencing joy. So if you look at that and see, okay, where is it that I'm limiting my expression? Now you have a pathway to healing of where, where you need to invite some opening and some space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where am I out of balance? If I'm always joyful, let's tap into some of that anger, that repressed anger and grief. Yeah. And finding that environment, like we described with the inclusive yoga class, that I can feel like it's okay to be this way. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be around all the happy people and you're the angry one in the midst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I just there's speaking with you gives me um a lot of hope and a sense of joy and acceptance for this journey and a lot of gratitude that we are right where we are. Yeah. You know, I, I keep saying, and I want to just remind people is one of the things that I, I, we have to come back to in the state of the new, with the news and the media and social media and everything showing us these extremes, we have to remember what it is that we, we actually believe ourselves and what I believe is that my, what I truly believe is that most people are good. Most people want to do better when they learn that something's going on. Most people are trying and doing the best they can and are willing to do better when, when they can show up for it. And, um, and, and I also believe there's a lot of crazy ass people out there that are extreme, but I think there are far fewer crazy people than there are people who are good. And so when, Things are happening in the world that show us and put the crazy in our face. I don't pretend it doesn't exist, but what I continue to come back to is, what is it that I believe? And how can I guide people into this space, even in this circumstance? So it's not to ignore the circumstance, but it's even like with, you know, the, the riots at the Capitol or whatever you want to call it, you know, happened at the Capitol. It's like, okay, I could choose to post all this media about what's happening. I don't need to do that because enough people are doing that. 
how can I remind people to connect with one another, to come back to themselves in this time, to remember what was true for you, you know, that some people felt on the inauguration is, was, was true, this was also true the day the capitals were stor- was stormed. Mm-hmm. You know, just something different being placed in front of us in the media at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so our practice allows us, reminds me to come back to what is it that I believe to be true and how do I really want to help make a positive impact in the world? Yeah, so. Given that and given the fact that it feels like what we used to take for granted that we had a, and this was probably not true, but I think myself at least took for granted that there was a shared collective delusion, however delusional it was, Mm -hmm. it was shared by the collective. And now that's very much revealed to be not true. We don't have a shared collective agreement on what this illusion is. And you spoke to, you know, your guiding principles and what you bring you, what help, what you come back to is knowing is true. Do you feel like we can get again to a shared collective agreement? I think it's interesting. I don't know that we've ever really had a shared collective agreement. Yeah. Because if what I know to be true from people that I've spoken to is kind of the way of the past, not the, the very recent past was like, you didn't tell people who you voted for. You just didn't talk about it. You know, like at, at the dinner table with your family, with your friends, you didn't ask somebody. Like I even experienced this when I was calling to do, um, I was making phone calls to register people to vote and I was asking who they were voting for. And some of the older people who would call, they said, that's my business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was a time when there was a kind of we're shutting our eyes to the truth. Yes, that's, that's what, very true, right? right? We could almost be in a state that we had been in generations prior because we ignored a lot. So it's almost the agreement was let's ignore a lot. Yeah, let's ignore a lot so we can just pretend to really get along. You right. know, we can just focus on getting along. And so now that the, I feel like everything that's been shadow is being revealed one after the other. Anytime something comes up or a relationship falls apart or somebody has a big hiccup or something fails, I'm like, there it is again. Like whatever's not in alignment is gonna get flung off the wheel. Like the centripetal force is just taking it out. And so we're polishing that mirror and that filter to what is actually really true. Let's get real about that. Yeah. And it's so, this is coming to me as we're speaking, it's almost like, the shared collective agreement is we're all going to be able to turn towards the truth together for the first time for the first time how amazing is that <laughs> that I gives me chills all over oh yeah my i God. just got chills <laughs> <laughs> wow like we're the we're the, that, that's we are i love this quote by dr sarah king she says we are beings that exist at the nexus of the dreams of our ancestors and the memories of our descendants. And what our job is right now is to turn towards the truth for the first time. Yes. You know, as a, as an, as a world, not just even as a country, the whole world is going through this right now. Yes. yes. Think about how hard it is when you think about your first therapy session, your first whatever, 
when you really had to turn your light of awareness onto like what's actually true about your life or what's actually true about your childhood and how hard and triggering and challenging and how much time and energy that takes. That's what we're trying to do as a collective right now. Wow. It's true. There's lots of tears, (laughs) lots of pain, lots of pain, lots of pain to be felt because it hasn't been felt yet. And the healing doesn't happen until we can look at the truth. Exactly. Somebody asked me on a podcast the other day, a really interesting question. And they said, if you could, if you were president, if you were elected president of the United States, what would be the first executive order that you would sign? I thought it was such a fascinating question. And you know what I said is I immediately said I would sign an executive order that all students of all grades across the entire country would be required to read and learn the truth, the actual truth about the United States of America. Ooh, wow. From early, not waiting, you know, none of this. I, like, we're literally still teaching kids that, like, the pilgrims and the Indians had dinner together. Like, that's being taught in school. <laughs> like, it's not true. It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. You know, and then we grow up and we wonder why, you know, people are confused about indigenous rights. Well, because you told them from childhood that it was kumbaya and that that this is what they wanted, you know? And so it just is like, if we can actually get everybody on the same page about what really happened, and I don't even mean politicizing it. Like, no, just the truth. Here's what happened. Yes, (laughs) that's beautiful. God, I love that wish. I love that wish. That inspires me to make sure my children know. I know my older daughter, Maya, she's you know, read the people's history of the United States and things like that, but there's deeper she can go. But I think that you're absolutely right in knowing that that holds a key because yeah. within that, there's so much pain for all of us. Yeah, there's a uh, lot to face. Marissa, you should look up for anybody who has kids listening. Um, I, I've been buying them for family members. There's um, a book kind of publisher brand called A Kid's Book About. Have you heard this? Mm-mm. Oh my down. gosh, write it down. Everybody look this up. It's a kid's book about every every book starts with that title and they have all these different authors come in and they have a kid's book about race, a kid's book about privilege, a kid's book about mindfulness, a kid's book about every different topic, mental health. And it like breaks it down in this really cool way that is like visual and, and compassionate and, and but direct for, for kids to really understand. And I've been like their greatest customer in the last year. <laughs> I would look that up. Okay. Well, thank you for that, that hot tip. And where can people find you? Oh, I'm so easy to find. So if you search Justin Michael Williams, literally anywhere, you'll find me. Um, you'll find my music on Spotify. You'll find my book wherever you can get a book. Barnes & Noble, Audible, Amazon, Target, wherever, wherever there's books, you can find it. Gratefully, I'm so grateful to say that. I still like pinch myself when I say I that. I thought I was just thinking, like, do you yeah. still pinch yourself? It's weird. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, you know, that's. But I'm grateful that it's has that wide of a, of a reach. And it's doing well. It's doing great. Yeah, it's doing great. It it really is meeting. It's meeting people where they need to be met right now, and for that, I'm grateful. And yeah, and, and on my website, I'll just tell people I have um, this. It's one of my favorite things. It's a master class that. I have for free for everybody on my website, justinmichaelwilliams.com. 
It's uh, called the Manifest Masterclass and how to become unshakable. And it's a, it comes with a workbook and like a three hour workshop that you can take for yourself that teaches you how to set your dream for your life and for the world, like really creative, a collective vision, starting with you, how to overcome self-sabotage and how to start taking action in your life. So it's a great little masterclass. Beautiful. Beautiful. I saw you on Insight Timer too. Ah, yes. I love Insight Timer. Yeah. I have a lot of free content on there too. Cool. Well, thank you for all that you do. Thank you, not only for yourself, but for all of us. I can, I can, I feel the ripples and I love witnessing it. Thank you, my love. Thank you for having me. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Justin.